Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. So this Kingdom Culture series is a worldview series. Everybody say worldview. A worldview series. What is a worldview, Pastor? It's how you view the world. It's the the lens in which you see the world and everything that happens around you. From the unfolding events of our culture and our society today to from the, the end times to the beginning times, all the way, everything in between. How you view those things is your worldview. How many of you have ever looked at something sitting right next to someone and saw something completely different? Let me go back, let me go old school for a minute. How many of you remember those, those 3D pictures that you had to stare at for a long time and something popped out? Okay, how many of you were the one who never saw it? You can sit down and you're looking at it and they see a cat eating popcorn and you see colors. And they're like, no, I see the cat. It's a, it's a red and white box. It's the way that you're seeing it. It's all there, but you're seeing it differently. And that's what we're talking about in the Worldview series. I hope that you're seeing things differently. I hope the things are popping out to you and you're getting the revelation because in this series, we're talking about the way God sees the world. This is not the Pastor Gabe's opinion series. If I'm giving you my opinion truthfully, you can take it or leave it. If, if I'm giving you what I think and how I view the world, you can take it or leave it. You can go, oh, I kind of agree with that, I kind of don't. As a matter of fact, part of the issues that we've had in the world, in our society, is we've been clashing our opinion with other people's opinions, and they clash, and we don't see the same thing, so we just fight. I'm not giving you my opinion. There was an incredible pastor who I, I greatly respect, who years ago was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. And she asked him a question, and I absolutely loved his answer. And I know this has been a hot topic item, and I'm going to talk more about this in a minute. But she asked him, she said, Bishop T.D. Jakes, what, do you, what is your view on homosexuality? And I loved his response. His response was simply this. He said, my opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my opinion is because I've submitted to God, his opinion matters, not mine. And I love that response so much. And whether you're talking about that or you're talking about political issues, what's your political opinion, Pastor Gabe? I don't, doesn't matter. My opinion on the world, how I view the world, doesn't matter. What matters is how God views the world. And I wanna align my views with what he thinks what he says, and submit to that. And so in this series, that's what we're talking about. Hopefully you're seeing that, you're hearing the heart of God in this series. This is how God views the world, not how Pastor Gabe's opinion or Pastor Jacob's opinion or our small group leader's opinion. This is God's word, what God's word says. So with that said, Let's get right into a recap of what we've been talking about. We've, we've kind of viewed this as four different scenes. Today we're in the fourth scene of this kingdom culture. 
The first scene, if you will, was creation. And in creation, of course, we talked about the, how God created the world. That's important for you. I know that may seem so elementary, but the world in which we live will tell you that we came about because there was an explosion. There was a bang, and then all of a sudden, everything perfectly was. There's, there's a, a, an apologetics argument, and I won't go into all of it too much, but it, simply, it, it essentially says this. Believing that the world was created by a big bang theory is the same foolishness, if you will, as walking into a, a forest and finding an Apple Watch on a wooden stump and believing that time and space perfectly cause all of the wires and glass and everything to form it perfectly sitting on that stump. That is how foolish it is to believe that time and space and matter just perfectly coincided to create something like the world. It had to be created by an intelligent designer. And we believe God tells us how he did it, or what he did, rather, in creation. And God looked at the world and he said, it is good. It is good. And he didn't, he took it a step further when he created man and he said, it is very good. So in the creation, in scene one, we see how God created the world and said it was good. We saw what was right. But in the second scene, we saw where everything went wrong. We saw the fall. And we looked at how Adam ate, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And we saw what happened. What, what happened as a part of that was death entered into the world, sin entered into the world. The perfect unity that God had with man and man had with God walking in the garden was now severed. There was now separation. There was now sin, there was now death. Oftentimes when I do a funeral, I, I make it a point to say this because I think it's something we all need to see. It doesn't matter how many people we lose. Whether a person was a, a, a 95, 100-year-old person who passes away of natural causes or a baby who dies away so unexpected, unexpectedly, it doesn't matter how many people we lose. If you notice, it always feels unnatural. It always feels like this shouldn't have happened. Can I tell you why? Because it shouldn't have. We were never created to die. We were created to live forever. So the reason why it feels so unnatural is because it is. We were created to live forever with God. But when sin came into the world, it separated us from God and really it separated us from life. So we saw that in how Adam brought those major consequences into the world and the entire human race. Last week, we talked about scene three, redemption. How Jesus came and redeemed us, how he bought us back. How we sinned, we messed up. As children of Adam, we followed along suit. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, that's not fair. I didn't eat the fruit. I didn't do that. Why, why am I suffering the consequences? I could tell you this, you're still without sin, I can promise you that. Because of your very nature, you've chosen sin, you've chosen separation from God, and you've probably done a lot worse things than eat a piece of fruit that you weren't supposed to. You covered that one by the time you were four. <laughs> we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, but then Jesus comes and he pays the price for our sin. He dies for our guilt. He takes our place and buys us back. Buys us back. 
I met with a friend yesterday, came to the house and had dinner with Lauren and I, and this friend works for a defense attorney, and she was telling us this story, how she was in this meeting and she's, she's kind of, she's a, a translator. So there's people who come and they speak a different language and she's there to help translate between that person and the law firm, right? And she's telling us about this lady who was arrested in Walmart because she went to Walmart and was stealing vitamins and stealing some essential goods and she was wrong and she shouldn't have done it. And she got caught. And my friend is on the phone with this woman and the woman is so deathly afraid and ashamed of what she's done. And she's scared that she's gonna have to have the conversation with Walmart and to tell and to confess with the employee that busted her stealing and to have those tough conversations and she's on the phone ashamed. And my friend told me, she said, I saw Jesus in this lawyer, which is a miracle in and of itself. Let me just say that. She said, I saw, I saw Jesus in this lawyer. Marv's going, babe. But this lawyer essentially got on the phone with this woman through the translator and says, my job is not to judge you. My job is to defend you. Yes, you've done it. Yes, you may have committed this, but it's my responsibility to defend you, to help you. That is the heart of Jesus. That is what he does for us each and every single day. He defends us. He paid the price when we were wrong. We did the crime. We did the stuff. And he still defends us. Yell with me. So Jesus comes. He heals us. But just for a moment, those are the first three scenes. I want to go back to the fall just for a moment. I want you to listen to what God says about Adam after the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. This is what it says. And the Lord God made clothes from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing good and evil. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim, which is an angel, to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now we see after the sin, after the fall, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. What is he doing? He's keeping them away from the tree of life so that they did not live forever in their sin, in their wickedness. He banishes them from the tree. But something very hopeful happens in their sin and in their nakedness. If you remember last week and the previous weeks, what did we talk about? They covered themselves with uncomfortable fig leaves. The equivalent of you putting on sandpaper as underwear in the morning. That's the equivalent of what that was. God sees them in their nakedness and in their brokenness and he covers them. How does he cover them? He sheds the blood of an animal to clothe them, to cover them. And we know, of course, that that's a picture of the blood of Jesus that was shed to cover us. This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, that God put forward Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood. 
Now I want to break that word down because that may not be a word that you're familiar with, atonement. Here's another way of saying atonement is at one mint. At one mint, meaning we are at one with God. We've, we've been, the peace has been made. How many of you have ever been in a conflict with someone and it does, if you're around them and you're in the room with them, but you know something's not right, you can be near them, but you're not at oneness with them. Come on, husbands and wives, don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's why we're meeting next week. Don't forget that, okay? You know you're not at peace. You're not at one. You're not one with them. When Jesus came and he shed his blood, it was an atonement, a sacrifice of atonement for us so that we could be made at one, one peace, at peace with God. Adam was driven out from the garden, from the tree of life because he'd ate the tree. But we have eternal life because Jesus, the Bible calls him the second Adam, died on that tree for us, atoning for our sin, giving us eternal life. There's a biblical scholar whose name is John Stott. I remember reading one of his books back in college. He said this, he said, the essence or the nature, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence or the nature of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Think about that for a moment. What did the serpent tell Eve? If you eat of this fruit, you will what? Be like God. Their attempt to be good without God. Their attempt to be like God without God's help. But then salvation is God saying, I'm gonna take the place of man and pay the price that they should have paid so that you can be one. That's what Jesus did. We're saved from the penalty of sin and we're saved so that we can be in the presence of God. Are y'all with me this morning? I'm going somewhere, I don't want you to miss this. Bondage, we've been in, we've been in bondage to our own brokenness and our own sin. But his blood shed gave us forgiveness, gave us righteousness, it gave us a relationship with God. Our relationship, listen, if you were born again, look up here. I know that some of you walk around feeling condemned for the things you've done in your past. I know that you walk around, even as a Christian, you remember the things you used to do or you still fight some of the same temptations and you just think, man, is God still, is God with me? If you're born again, your past is your past. We all have a past. When his blood was shed for you, he washed it away. And even if you feel it from your past, even if you remember it from your past, when his blood was shed, and it was, it, excuse me, and it was applied to your life, your past is gone. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. As a matter of fact, this is one of my favorite scriptures and I've quoted it to myself many, many, many times. The Bible says this, talking about our new status with Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. In other words, it doesn't matter what you did in the past. Doesn't matter how long it took you to come back. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. If the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you've given him that sin, 
He's washed it clean. You are brand new. Well, Pastor, I don't always feel that way. That's why I encourage you, get to know the Bible. Memorize scripture. Get no, I'm old school. Get no cards, index cards, write the scriptures on there. Don't put it on your phone because you'll get on Facebook. Write it on a no card. Right, Pastor Paul? Thank you. On a no card, put it in your car, put it in your bathroom. Write these scriptures down and get them inside of you. David said it like this in the Psalms, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've taken your truth and I've made it a part of who I am. That's why you need to memorize these scriptures because when the devil is constantly telling you about your past and the things that you've done, you can say, that was true, but this is more true. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. But even though we are new creations in Christ, I want to explain a tension that we live in. Because the kingdom of God is both now and to come. There's a tension that we live in. We are new creations, but creation itself is still fallen, still broken, it's still filled with sin, and it's still filled with destruction. We're new creations living in a creation that is not new. That is the truth. And just practically to let you know how uncomfortable this is, and I know you know it, but I just want to give you a better example of it. Imagine not being able to take a shower for two weeks. My gosh. Okay, (laughs) let's try this again. But imagine that for a moment. You had no change of clothes, same clothes for two weeks. But you're able, you finally are able to take a shower but you have to put those same clothes back on. You're fresh, you're clean, but you're surrounded by and covered by what's nasty. That's what it's like to be a new creation in a creation that's not new. That's what it's like to be a born again believer, free, new creation, becoming more and more like Christ in the process of being more and more like him when the world around you is becoming more and more and more corrupt and evil and wicked. That's a very real tension that we live in. And although we are redeemed, there's still sin, there's still sickness, there's still setbacks, there's still cancer, there's still car wrecks, there's still calamity because we live in a fallen world. How do we reconcile that? How do we view that? How do we think through these things? We're new, but the world we live in is not. We know that the things in the world still aren't right. And I'll tell you this, even in writing this message, if I'm being honest with you, I teared up. Writing this and thinking about this, because there there are moments that even though we're new creations and there's hope and we're full of life and we're full of faith, we recognize the world we live in is broken. And you see people's hurt, you see people's pain. Every day we see the brokenness of this world and you know what it reminds us? This is not our home. This place is not our home. This is not our final resting place. What made me tear up is the thought that I'm surrounded by the brokenness of people all the time, the pain of people all the time, 
pain in our own lives. But one day I'm gonna look at him and I'm gonna see his eyes and I'm gonna hear him say, well done. That's worth it all. That's worth it all. When you think about, Pastor, why is this so hard? Why do I have to deal with this? Why, do I, why am I going through this? Why? I don't understand this. This wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't supposed to happen. One day, it will be worth it. When you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. It'll be worth it. Let's keep going. We long for things to be made right. Last night, as a matter of fact, I had the honor, really it is an honor, to go visit a man in the hospital who I've been walking with him and his wife and just helping their family and their marriage. Went to the hospital because he found out he's got leukemia. All in the middle of these things. And so last night I'm there and I'm praying with him and I'm telling him this very truth that I'm telling you. This place is not our home. This is not where we put our hope. This is passing away. One day, we'll see Jesus. Romans chapter eight, verse 18 says this. Yet, we, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Think about this for a moment because you may have never thought about this. We weren't the only ones subjected to the curse. The world in which we live was subjected to the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, that's when thorns and thistles came. That's when we had to work the ground with, with the difficulty. We, all, we were always supposed to work. Some of you are like, work was a part of the curse. No, 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 they were supposed to work already. But the, how hard it is was a part of the curse. Women, the pain of childbirth, part of the curse, but the entire world was corrupted by the curse, and it's waiting for the redemption of mankind and the restoration of the new creation, the same way we are. Let's continue, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. That's something to look forward to. And can I just speak the truth to you for a moment? I believe in divine healing, I do. I've seen God divinely heal people. I've seen, I remember seeing a girl who could, couldn't, literally she walked in with, bond, with band, bandages, excuse me, all over her feet and God healed her in front of my very eyes. Some of you in this church have experienced God's healing, supernatural, miraculous healing. I believe in that. I believe that God wants to provide for us. I believe God will break through in circumstances for us. But can I be honest with you? You will still suffer pain. You will still go through hardships. There will still be hard things in life that you have to face. Don't think you're out of the will of God because you're in a hard time. 
Maybe the reason you're in the hard time is because you're in the will of God. Maybe God's producing something in you either way. The goal is not that everything in life is perfect. The goal is that we're walking with him and he's with us. That's truth that you need to know. But here's what we look forward to. When believers die, we're taken into the presence of the Lord in heaven. I believe that. The Bible says absent from the body is present with the Lord. The moment we die, we are in the presence of God. But I want you to learn something some of you may not have ever known. That's not the end of the story. Because one day, God is going to make all things new. One day, the world will pass away and God will make all things new. We won't just, there won't just be a return to Eden. We will have something better than Eden, a new heavens and a new earth. That's what the book of Revelation talks about. The new heavens and the new earth. That's what will come. That's what will happen. So in this message, we, we saw the first two chapters of the Bible. And in this message, we're gonna talk about those first two chapters and we're gonna go all the way to the last two chapters because I want you to see the parallel. There will be a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. And this is what John, in the book of Revelation, talks about. He talks about a place of no mores. That's what we're looking forward to. That's where our hope is, the place of no mores. Number one, no more serpent. The serpent was introduced in Genesis And his closure happens in Revelation. No more serpents. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says this. And the devil, who's called that ancient serpent, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I want you to see this. Spiritual warfare, and and that's a very real term, But I want you to see that they're not on equal playing fields, God and the devil. This is not God punches the devil, the devil punches God. That's not how this works. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. He rendered him powerless on the cross. And through the church, we are moving forward and taking more and more and more of his authority away until the full culmination of it in history happens where he is thrown into the fiery pit. So when a devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Remind him of his. Revelation 21.1 says this, then I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is this, no more sea. No more sea, what does that mean? Revelation 21.1, and the sea was no more. In the Bible, oftentimes the sea represents chaos. It represents evil and it represents turmoil. You never know in biblical times when you go out on the sea, you can be out fishing and doing, doing your normal life things and a storm hits and all of a sudden everything is in turmoil and in chaos. Jesus, when he was here, he calmed what? He calmed the sea. The Bible says the beast came out of what? Came out of the sea. But what John says in the book of Revelation is this, no more turmoil, no more fear, 
No more chaos. Number three, no more separation. No more separation. Revelation 21 verse two says this, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Let's go back to Genesis just for a moment. The Bible says God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. When sin came, what happened? They were separated from God. What happens in Revelation? No more separation. We walk with him. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them in their God. New heavens and a new earth. We're gonna see the fullness of God. I want you to know something. We're not just looking for some ethereal concept. I die, I'm gonna float on clouds and there'll be angels. And some people think angels are little fat naked babies who play harps. (laughs) That's not what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to being with our God, being with our Lord. Number four, and this is important, some of you need this. No more sadness. No more sadness. Revelation 21 verse four says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There'll be no more reason to cry. That's why there won't be any crying because there'll be no more reason to cry. No more back pain. No more neck pain. No more tumors. No more overdoses. No more tragedies. No more car wrecks. No more divorce papers. No more bankruptcies. No more grieving. No more mourning. No more rejection. No more crying. That's what we're looking forward to. What am I saying? Don't put your hope in this world. Something greater is coming. Number five, no more darkness. 21, Revelation 21 verse 22 says this, and I saw no temple in the city. In other words, there were no church buildings. There's no church building in heaven. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. No more sun, no more moon, no need for electricity, no more energy bills. Praise God. The Lamb will be our light. He will light up eternity for us. There'll be no physical building to worship. Why? Because we won't have to come to a physical location to be with God. We'll be with him forever. No more darkness. And number six, no more death. 
no more death. There were two special trees in the Garden of Eden, if you remember. Tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And as we read in Genesis, the angel was placed at the east gate of the garden. And a flaming sword was there to keep Adam and Eve out of the garden. But I want you to listen to what the angel does in the book of Revelation, in the new creation. Revelation 22 verse 1 says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielded its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Where sin separated us from the tree, we'll live near the tree and we'll live near the lamb. That's what the new heavens and the new earth are like. Biblical scholar Robert Munt said this, in the restored Eden, all has been reversed. Eating of one tree brought the curse. Eating of this tree, eternal life. Eternal life. So how then should we live? How then should we view the world? The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Verse 29, when you live with this type of hope, when you realize this is not my home, I'm simply passing through. It says this, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Pastor, what does that mean? It means the things of this present world, listen to me, they're important. They are important, but they're not ultimate. So hold loosely to the things of this world, but hold tightly to God and to his promises. Hold on to what is eternal. Everything else is temporary and temporal. Some of you in this place today, your hearts are in pain. Hold on to hope. For those of you whose bodies are in pain, hold on to hope. For those of you who are scared and you don't know what the future is going to bring, and I'm not sure if this will ever change, and I'm not sure if this will ever happen, hold on to hope. You have a hope, and it's eternal. When I was a youth pastor, and I, I used to tell teenagers like this, I want you to think about eternity in this light. Imagine an eagle who has a feather in his mouth. And he, run, he, he flies up to the top, the tip of a mountain, and he scrapes the top of that mountain. And then he flies out of the Earth's atmosphere, and he literally flies at normal pace around the equator, around the globe, flies right back into the Earth's atmosphere, and scrapes the top of that same mountain. 
I want you to imagine that bird doing that same thing until he has literally whittled that mountain down to plain, to flat surface. That is the beginning of eternity. This is the hope we have. When you hold on to this world and your hope is in this world, I cannot just tell you, you will be disappointed. You will be hurt. But when your hope is eternal, you will not be disappointed. You will not be underwhelmed by the new heavens and the new earth. It is somewhere that you want to go. In other words, live in light of eternity. Get married. Work hard. Vote. Live life to the fullest. But remember that this world is passing away and the best is yet to come. Yes, you can clap. Remember this. We live in, we live in this world, but we're not of it. We're different. Every day we walk around, we have a hope that those next to us do not have. So how can you have joy in a circumstance that's tough because heaven's my home? How can you have joy when you've gotten bad news from the doctor? Because what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to heaven? What's the hope that you have when you lose someone who you know and you love? That I'll see him again. We don't grieve as the world grieves. We grieve as those who have hope. And this is our hope. One day you won't have the same bondage to sin. You won't have the same temptations. You won't have the same pain. And that is the narrative and the story of the Bible. Creation, the fall, restoration, in the new creation. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for giving us a lens in which to see the world. This place is not our final home. I believe you, God, that you are the God of breakthrough. And I believe there are many breakthroughs even in this room that you want your people to have. There are things that you do want to change in the life of your people. But I pray that even in their toughest moments, they would have hope that you're with them and that heaven is their home. That one day they will see you. We're not living for this world. We're living for the world to come. We're not living for the pleasure of this world. We're living for your pleasure to please you and to one day hear you say those words that will mean everything to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, God, for placing eternity in the hearts of men. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I can't say with confidence that heaven is my home. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm born again. I don't know that I have the new heavens and the new earth to look forward to. But I want to know that. I want to tell you, you can know that with assurance and certainty at the very words of God. 
Jesus said this, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And that's what he wants for you. You must be born again. Pastor, how do I do that? What, what do I need to do? I'll do whatever it takes. It's a very simple process. You don't have to do much. It's really a surrendering. We say it's as easy as ABC. A, you admit the truth that there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy God. B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And C, you confess that he is now the Lord of your life you bow your knee to him and you give him control of your life and you say God I'm tired of doing it my way I'm going to do it your way that's what you do and when you do that he meets you he comes into your life and he gives you this eternal hope that I've been talking about this morning so if you're here this morning and you say Pastor Game I want to be born again I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life I'm going to ask everybody in this place to close your eyes, to bow your heads. I want this to be a moment between you and God. So with no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me. On the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. All of us are going to pray it out loud together. But I want to know who's meaning it from their heart. If that's you, on the count of three, lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I see your hands. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sweet girl. You can put them down. If you didn't raise your hand, but you say, Pastor, that is me. I was nervous to raise my hand the first time, but I want that. I want you to lift up your hand again. All right, for the first time, I'm going to give you another chance. One, two, three, lift it up. If you say, I didn't lift it the first time, but I want to, thank you. I see your hand. Praise God. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. I I see your hand back there. You can put it down. Church, pray this prayer with me. This is our prayer of surrender to God. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross that you died for my sin, for my guilt, and from my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I give you my life. And I choose to follow. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I want you to help me welcome our new family members into the family of God.